This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. Entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Welcome back to the program. Milwaukee County Sheriff David Clark in for Glenn Beck. This is the Glenn Beck program. We're talking immigration. Let's go right to the phones. Gabe from Texas. Welcome to the Glenn Beck program. Gabe, are you there? Going once, going twice. I guess we lost Gabe. So I'm going to close out immigration here. We're talking about sanctuary cities. And how the local governments, many of them, probably most of them, I, I, I stay away from absolutes, I would say all, but uh, most of them are, are run by liberal Democrats who don't believe in our, our nation's immigration laws. They don't believe that we should have borders, don't believe those borders should be protected, the borders should be enforced, and it's wreaking havoc. But here's another issue of why, at the local level, sanctuary cities are a public safety menace. Here's how this works at the local level. You have people in the country illegally. They're in a city, any city. Name a city that's a sanctuary city. Pittsburgh. Their mayor recently, uh, Peduto, I think his name is, uh, recently declared that they were going to uh, make Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, a sanctuary city. But here's what happens. You have people in the country illegally. They're committing crimes. And that's not all illegal aliens committing crimes, but the ones that do. Here's what they know. They know that if they victimize somebody in the country illegally, that victim is not likely to call the police for fear of being discovered to be in the country illegally themselves. So in other words, I do a street robbery, and I know you're in the country illegally. I know you're not going to call the police. The victim just goes home and says, I can't call the police because it'll be discovered I'm in the country illegally and, and, and I don't want to be discovered and, and identified and I don't want to be kicked out. So we have unreporting and underreporting of serious crime in these cities because of the illegal immigration issue. So the police don't know that the crime is going on and will continue to go on. 
I don't know if these mayors and these city councils and county boards, I don't know if they think about this or not. Do they care about their law-abiding citizens in that city and county? Is there such a disregard for the rule of law? It's probably why the Democrats continue to lose seats in state legislatures, lose governor's uh, races, members of Congress, because they don't care about law-abiding citizens anymore, the Democrats. They work harder to protect and create an environment, a safe environment for illegal aliens than they do law-abiding citizens. This actually goes on. This criminalization, the victimization, and I'm talking about some serious crimes, ladies and gentlemen. I'm talking about things like I mentioned robberies. I'm talking about sexual assaults. I'm talking about domestic violence. I'm talking about child abuse. Where if you're in the country illegally and you know somebody's abusing your child, you may not notify local law enforcement because you don't want to be discovered to be in the country illegally. This stuff has to be enforced. Let's go back to the phone. Scott from Ohio, welcome to the Glenn Beck program. Sheriff, how are you? Thank you very much for all that you do, your witness, and in this uh, American revolution that we're in right now and uh, the battle to reclaim law and order in America. Thank you, sir. It's an honor. It's an honor to serve. Go ahead. Yeah, the question is, I've traveled internationally, and in regards to your comments on uh, enforcing E-Verify, countries like Great Britain actually publicly announced fines that they give for companies that have been caught hiring large number of illegals. Could be 1,000 pounds, could be 20,000 pounds, but they publicly announced that for two reasons. One is to um, openly identify to the public uh, the problem that they've had, but two, also to keep the other companies in line. And they have very little problem with enforcing you verify through that public announcement and the fine itself. What are your comments on that? Well, first of all, thanks for the call, Scott. I appreciate it. Merry Christmas to you. Um, you know, with the E-Verify system, first of all, I think the biggest problem is that it's voluntary. And you get into this squishy area with, you know, do the feds want to force or can they force the local communities? I think private businesses, they can. Um, can they make them enforce immigration laws, even private businesses, which is what this would be doing. But I'm not going to get all hung up on that stuff. I'm going to uh, go back to the thing that I mentioned earlier where if you do heavy fines for these individuals, especially the ones who don't use use E-Verify before they hire uh, somebody. Now, here's the problem. Even if you do use E-Verify, most of these individuals that come in and are looking for work, you don't really even know who they are. You come in, they give you uh, somebody else's name. They give you the documentation of somebody who's in the country legally. And the employer doesn't know that, so he runs that name in. So let's say you have a person who is legally in the United States. And he or she has a birth certificate, a driver, probably birth certificate. And they go to an employer and say, yeah, here's who I am. And they run that through E-Verify. It's going to say... Yeah, that person's in the country legally, but it's not even the person who passed the document. So I understand some of the complexities for employers, but I think the first step is making it not voluntary, making it mandatory 
to do that sort of thing. Let's try Gabe from Texas back again. Gabe, you're on the Glenn Beck program. Go ahead, sir. Oh, we still don't have Gabe. Okay, uh, that's what Congress is going to be dealing with, and they're going to want to hear from you. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, you know what people in Congress tell me all the time? If we don't hear from constituents, we don't think it's that big a deal. They might know it's a big deal, but if they don't think it's going to move the political needle for them, they're not going to fool with it. They have to hear from you. They have to hear from you. Let's try Gabe one more time. Gabe from Texas. Hello. You're on the Glenn Beck radio radio program. Go ahead. Yes, hello. Go ahead, Hello. Gabe. Yes, hey, sir. Yes, Go ahead. Uh, I live five miles from the border of uh, the United States, uh, right here in Texas, and uh, city in the city of Mercedes, Texas. And it's a big frustration over here. I know we got uh, uh, immigration issues in all four corners of our country, but uh, if we're talking about southern border, it's a big uh, it's a big frustration for us down here. And um, the problem I have, uh, I am an American citizen. I did serve my country. And uh, the problem I, I have now is that uh, a lot of the influx of the people who are coming over. Uh, they got to look. They got to find jobs, and most of them are taking uh, that I that I can see. They're taking uh, um, American jobs, and uh, they're all over the place. And we're talking large numbers at a time. And also another issue that I have around here is uh, most people are staying true to their Mexican flag, and you see it all over the place. You know. And uh, they're not pledging to the United States flag. Gabe, thanks uh, for the call. G- Gabe, i got, I got to let you go in the uh, interest of time here, but uh, a couple things that you touched on. And, uh, you know, you're right. And you're seeing it firsthand, the border enforcement. But you're also talking about, you know, people come into this country for a reason, because they want to experience American exceptionalism. They obviously believe in the Western culture, the opportunities that the United States affords. They want to participate in that. Well, you can't have one foot in the water and one foot out of the water. You either come here because you want to experience American exceptionalism, exceptionalism, or you don't. You left your country of origin for a reason. And I don't care what that reason, I don't care what your motivation is. You left that country for a reason. You couldn't find work. It's a war-torn country. No matter what it is, you left. Leave it behind. I'm Milwaukee County Sheriff David Clark in for Glenn Beck. We have to take a break. Break. This is the Glenn Beck program. You're listening. You're listening. To the Glenn Beck program. The Glenn Beck program. Mercury. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. This is the 
Glenn Beck Program. Sign up for the newsletter and get all the info you need to know at glennbeck.com. Welcome back to the program. I'm Milwaukee County Sheriff David Clark in for Glenn Beck. This is the Glenn Beck Program. We're going to switch gears here, third hour. We're going to talk about this opioid epidemic sweeping across the United States. It's to the point now, this is such a crisis, that everybody either knows somebody, is related to somebody, has lost somebody due to this addiction, heroin, some of the prescription, the opioid-based prescription drugs. Something has got to be done about this. We are talking about a generation of people. And, you know, this thing transcends race. It transcends uh, class, gender. If we don't get our arms around it now, we'll be talking about an entire... We might be talking 10 years before we get rid of this. Now, we were able to eradicate this this, this epidemic of heroin back in the 60s. And I don't know how they did it back then. I was a young kid back then. But I'm hearing a lot of lip service today. I'm hearing people use it for political leverage, people running for office, people who are in office, office holders, politicians. Oh, yes, we need to do something about the heroin and opioid crisis in America. And if you elect me, I will make sure that we get treatment programs and blah, blah, blah. I've seen some grants given out for pilot projects, treatment programs. But this can't just be a treatment-based remedy, ladies and gentlemen. It cannot be because it's too late at that point. What are we doing early on to prevent people from slipping into this addiction? You want to stop people before they become addicted to this and not have the heavy emphasis, which is what we always do. We do the same thing with crime. We want to treat crime with all of this money put into somebody who's already a career criminal. It's in their DNA. It's too late. If you're a 25-year-old and you've led nothing but a life of crime, you have no education, you have nothing to offer an employer, you're functionally illiterate, it's too late. Now, I'm not suggesting we throw those people away. I'm saying I don't have the answer for that. I want to spend what little money we have for this type of thing, this intervention, because that's what we need here with the, the opioid crisis. We need interventions. Forget about solutions, okay? Thomas Sowell reminds me that all the time. There aren't solutions to these things. There are remedies. Because when you remedy something, what ends up is you you create a issue or problem somewhere else. So interventions we need. Getting back to the opioid thing. This is an article I came across. This is a director of the Center for Disease Control. His name is Thomas Frieden. He's an MD. How to end America's opioid epidemic. One of the most heartbreaking problems I face as CDC director is our nation's opioid crisis. Lives, families, and communities continue to be devastated by this complex and evolving epidemic. Year after year since I've been at CDC, the drug overdose death, I'm sorry, the drug overdose death toll in our nation has been the highest on record. In 2015, more than 52 
1,000 Americans lost their lives from an overdose. More than 33,000 of these deaths involved a prescription or illicit opioid. Listen to this, ladies and gentlemen. This crisis was caused in large part by decades of prescribing too many opioids for too many conditions where they provide minimal benefit and is now made worse by wide availability of cheap, potent, and easily available illegal opioids, heroin, illicitly made fentanyl, and other new illicit synthetic opioids. These deadly drugs have found a ready market in people primed for addiction by misuse of prescription opioids. Overdose, death, overdose deaths involving heroin have more than quadrupled since 2010, and what was a slow stream of illicit fentanyl, a synthetic opioid, 50 to 100 times stronger than morphine, is now a flood, with the amount of the powerful drugs seized by law enforcement increasing dramatically. America is awash in opioids. Urgent action is critical. Now listen to this. Back to the story here. Thomas Frieden, MD, Center for Disease Control Director. Our nation's current situation reminds me of a story often told to students in public health. Here's the story. A person on a riverbank saves one drowning person after another before stopping, exhausted to think, how can I stop people from falling into the river? That's what I was getting at when I talked about how we deal with criminal behavior. Instead of treating the criminal, why don't we stop people early on, meaning juveniles when you're talking about crime. But in this situation here, yeah, the guy's on the riverbank saving drowning folks. But at some point you realize, I'm not doing anything here. Why don't I stop people from falling in the river instead of trying to save people as they're drowning? We don't have that mindset. All this money for treatment, and I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't have treatment programs. What about abstinence programs? Education programs to keep people from falling prey to this. But here's another thing. He says doctors cause this, not intentionally, with their overprescribing of these highly addictive prescription painkillers. And pharmaceutical companies are behind this too. Let's not kid ourselves. And who do pharmaceutical companies give campaign donations to? Politicians, members of Congress, members of state legislators. That's why there's no will to point at. We're not having an honest discussion here, folks, when it comes to the opioid crisis. Nobody wants to take a look at these pharmaceutical companies who are making millions and billions. And I'm not saying they should. They shouldn't, I should say. I'm not suggesting that. we got to take a look at the doctors who are over-prescribing this. And look, in fairness to doctors, look, you come in, you have a surgical procedure, they say, here, you know, take a couple of these. And why are they giving out 30-day doses of this stuff? Give it out for 10 days and say, if you're still in pain, call me. We'll look at something else. But we're in the second round, we're going to give you something less addictive. But it's easier for the doctor whose offices are flooded treating uh, patients to just say, here, here's 30 days, then, then I don't have to be worried about this person coming back every 10 days. I get that. 
But it's not helping the situation. It's making it worse. So until we begin to have an honest discussion about the cost. Now, here's the doctor saying is, forget the cop and me, and we're never going to arrest our way out of this. But the doctor says, doctors, and, and I've caused this unintentionally, but they've caused it. We need to start having an honest discussion about this opioid crisis. Or it's going to continue on. Do we want to remedy, remedy this, or do we just want to talk good about it and use it for political leverage? This is amazing. Milwaukee County Sheriff David Clark in for Glenn Beck. This is the Glenn Beck program. We have to take a break. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. Gloria, 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 Gloria. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Yep. Welcome back to the program. Milwaukee County Sheriff David Clark in for Glenn Beck. This is the Glenn Beck program. Look, I don't want to give that opioid crisis uh, short stroke, so I'm going to have some final comments to say on this. Uh, this is from, again, Thomas Frieden, who's the, he's a doctor, MD, um, director for the Center for Disease Control, and he says this in, in terms of straightening this thing out. He says, while we implement these emergency response strategies, it's also important that we look upstream to prevent opioid use disorder in the first place. This starts with improving how providers prescribe opioids for pain treatment. That's an excellent starting point, he says. There are safer drugs and treatment approaches that can control pain as well or better than opioids for the vast majority of patients. But see, this is where the pharmaceutical companies come in because they're pushing out of these doctors, the opioid-based prescription medicines. The doctor goes on to say, we must reduce the number of Americans exposed to opioids for the first time, especially for conditions where the risk of opioids outweighs the benefit. In addition, state policies should facilitate better use a prescription drug monitoring program. You see, we spend all our money downstream on treating a person once they're addicted? He closes this out by saying we must not forget what's got us here in the first place. Doctor's prudent use of the prescription pad and renewed commitment to treat pain more safely and effectively based on what we know now about opioids, as well as healthy awareness of the risks and benefits among patients prescribed these drugs can change the path of the opioid Epidemic Again, Dr. Thomas Frieden, the director for the Center of Disease Controls. Control. Ladies and gentlemen, this guy, first of all, should be testifying on Capitol Hill. And again, part of the problem is that the politicians are just using this stuff for leverage. They know it'll sell back home that, hey, I just got a $2 million grant for a drug treatment program for uh, people addicted to opioids. 
They know this. I think it's a sin. They listen to this guy. We can set up monitoring. What doctors are overprescribing this? And like I said, they're not. They, I don't think there are many doctors out there. I'm not accusing them of saying, I want to get people hooked on this. They're well-intentioned, but I don't care about good intentions. I care about results, and the result is like this doctor said. This stuff is being overprescribed. There are safer remedies to deal with pain. But, of course, that's not what the pharmaceutical companies want. They want the latest and the greatest, and this stuff's more expensive. So you have to ask yourself, do we want to fix this thing or don't we? You know, this is something that's right up my alley in terms of giving you straight talk. You know, we get, well, compassion. Compassion, nothing. Let's remedy this. Let's keep people from becoming hooked in the first place. And then we'll deal with those that are already hooked. But once this stuff enters into the political realm, you forget about it. Forget about anything meaningful. Coming out of Congress, you're going to see a heavy dose of federal dollars for treatment. You will not see mechanisms in place for monitoring of doctors and pharmaceutical companies. We're peddling this stuff. These people are unintentional. They're dope dealers. They're no different than a dope dealer. I know some of you will freak out. What do you mean, a doctor? Look, this doctor says so, not David Clark. Speaking of a crisis, the crime and violence in the city of Chicago should bring tears to the eyes of a brass monkey. This is unbelievable. To date in the city of Chicago, you talk about a crisis and you talk about remedies. 753 people have been murdered in the city of Chicago. Compare that to 492 last year. Where's the outrage? Periodically, you see... A story here and there. Let me tell you what goes on weekly in Chicago. Here's what happened just last weekend. Five dead, 13 wounded one night. Four dead, 15 others wounded in shootings the next night. So nine dead, 28 people hit by gunfire. Folks, this goes on weekly in the great city of Chicago. Where's the outrage? I'll tell you right now, if 753 people were killed in the Ebola crisis or epidemic or scare, let's scare, let's call it scare. Oh, hell, you'd have news conferences every day. All the local news would be covering it. All the major news network networks would be covering this. Oh, this is horrible. Now it's up to 750. Somebody do something. And by the way, over 3,000 people have been hit in non-fatal shootings in 2016 alone, ladies and gentlemen. This stuff is staggering. I've been in law enforcement, as I indicated, for 39 years. I'm staggered by this. Chicago's only 80 miles from Milwaukee, where I live. It's 80 miles down the road. New York's hit a increase in homicide over last year, city of New York. Baltimore, for successive years, has hit over 300 homicides. Milwaukee's closing in. I'm reaching the second highest level ever in the city's history. Last year was the second highest uh, number of homicides. This year we're closing in on that number. 
if you joined us earlier, we, we talked about with, with Heather McDonald what this War of Cops has done. The men and women of the Chicago Police Department under siege because of ineffective leadership by none other than Democrat liberal mayor Rahm Emanuel, who has no idea what to do here. He has no idea how to get his arms around this. I've offered some remedies. You notice again, I didn't say solutions. Some things that we did during the 90s that led to record decreases in violent crime across the country. Record numbers of decrease in crime and violence across the country. But we stopped doing those things that worked. We got hooked into this left's myth of mass black incarceration. We stopped locking people up. We engage in these social engineering experiments, second chance programs for habitual criminals, habitual community corrections, a reluctance to use jails and prisons as a crime control tool. Jails and prisons are a very effective crime control tool. And here you have President Obama, a friend of the criminal, a cop hater, commuting sentences in record numbers. Hardly a mention in the national media. Every once in a while, a little blurb. Reducing the sentences of major drug dealers and people who are in possession of weapons, they're prohibited while they're peddling those drugs. We didn't provide any pushback. Who long, long, you know, this stuff doesn't turn on a dime. There's a lag time. So even if we put those effective remedies back in place today, it might be five years before we see a downturn again. Do you know how many people are going to be victimized by violent crime in the next five years with these numbers? This is amazing. we got to take a break. This is Milwaukee County Sheriff David Clark in for Glenn Beck. This is the Glenn Beck Program. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. Sheriff David Clark in for Glenn Beck. This is a Glenn Beck program. Looks like we're coming in for a smooth landing. A little turbulence along the way, but don't worry about that. You know, this is not my craft. I'm a cop by career. I'm a cop by trade. A pretty damn good one at that, I might add. Uh, But this uh, this radio stuff and TV stuff is 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 not my craft. Uh, But I enjoy it. I do it from time to time. And uh, I really enjoy it. I hope you enjoy it as well. If you did, I'll be back with you tomorrow. And if you didn't, come back tomorrow anyway and give you something to complain about, I guess. I want to thank the, the crew here, the staff. Uh, they've been great. You know, they they realize that uh, I'm a rookie when it comes to this, but they're very helpful. You know, they don't throw you into deep water. <laughs> you know, shark infested at that and say good luck. Uh, very helpful. And I want to thank you for that. I also want to say Merry Christmas to everybody. Boys, it feel good to say Merry Christmas and not feel 
bashful about it. You know, this political correctness that we've been under, this country's been under, the siege for the last eight years has been horrendous. You had to go around and, you know, say happy holidays so you don't offend anybody, this move towards secularism. You know, Christmas, the birth of Christ. And you had to be, like I said, skittish about saying it. You didn't want to offend anybody. Not that any of you were, and I know I wasn't, but man, does it feel good. And I've heard more and more people just in, since November 8th just really just exuberant about saying Merry Christmas. It feels good. And Happy Hanukkah if you're so inclined as well. As I said, we're a Judeo-Christian nation. The founding of it was anyway, not to the exclusion of any other religion. I'm going to close by talking about this this Mrs. Bill Clinton, and, and she's hurting after the election, after her loss to Trump. And she's on this pity party, this uh, tour, this pity tour, where she's going around the country talking to donors and supporters and blaming everybody except her lousy campaign for why she lost the uh, presidential election. Donald Trump outworked her. Donald Trump was tireless. She was about the same age. That guy's like the ever-ready energizer buddy, a bunny. The guy just doesn't stop. I watched him, folks. I I was intricately involved in, in helping him get elected. I got behind-the-scenes looks and, and, and up close and personal. And I would look at this guy, Donald Trump. I say that affectionately, the president-elect. And I said, this guy doesn't stop. And I could tell early on he was going to outwork her. So she's going around. She's blaming everybody. Remember, first she blames Jim Comey. She doesn't blame her corruption. She doesn't blame blame erasing 33,000 emails. She doesn't blame the secret server. She doesn't blame the Clinton Foundation. She blames Jim Comey. Then after that, she blamed fake news. Fake news is why she lost the election. No, she ran a horrible campaign. Then she said the other day she lost because the media didn't help her enough. It took me a long time to stop laughing. Folks, the media was her campaign. The liberal mainstream media. They were her campaign. What do you mean they didn't help her enough to win? They couldn't do any more. They couldn't do any more to help her. They gave her questions to the uh, debates. They gave her stories and said, does this story meet with your recommendation before we go to print? Now she says the media... Didn't help her en- enough. Then it was the Russian hacking. Ah, oh, the Russians did it. The Russians didn't cause her to lose the election. Even if they did hack, and it hasn't been proven, I don't know what to believe, like I said, but even if they did hack into DNC emails, this is why she lost. Nothing in those emails that was uh, put forth by Assange, they didn't dispute any of it. They never said that stuff's not true. They were just blaming hacking. Well, guess who they're blaming now? I saw something up on the screen here, the, the monitor, up on the set here. Clinton's saying the inner city didn't come out for her. They didn't help enough. Now it's the voters, her voters. She got 90% of the black vote. What the heck is she talking about? You know what my advice to her would be? If she were my friend, 
If she has any real friends, you know what they should do? They should go to her and say, you know what you lost? Here, let me walk you over here and put her in front of a mirror. She's why she lost. But, of course, with her, it's always somebody else's fault. Accepts no responsibility. Slept slept during most of the campaign. Every time you turn around, she was reported to be taking a nap. Well, she's going to have plenty of time to nap now, isn't she? This is amazing. So we'll keep an eye on this electoral college. Uh, it's supposed to be meeting at noon Eastern time across the country and and uh, closing this thing out. The left is scheduled protests. There are scheduled protests across the nation uh, prior to this election or this the electoral college. They're still trying to put pressure on the electors. That is a federal crime, which is not being investigated. Look, Donald Trump is going to get the required number of electors to finally seal this thing. We're still not going to be able to uh, to move forward because with the left, it's never over. It's never final. They're going to do everything they can to slow him down, to delegitimize his presidency. He's going to need our help. Milwaukee County Sheriff David Clark in for Glenn Beck. This is the Glenn Beck Radio Program. It's been my pleasure. God bless you. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury.